Hey, group chat. I know y'all see my text. There's tea to be spilled. Each week, we're bringing you our unfiltered take on culture, news, dating, and our lives as Black millennial women. We're coming to y'all with the honesty and eye rolls that only a text chain with your girls can. This is Black Girls Texting with Chelsea, Glenn, and Shade. Podcast. Usually you would hear Sade's voice, but she is shoving chips down her throat. So I fit in where I could get in. I am Chelsea Pinky, joined by Bedside Brat and Sade. Um, welcome. How are you guys? My bad, y'all. Glenn just started mm-hmm. pressing buttons all fast. I wasn't even ready. I was like, damn, ah, we have to hop in. I mean, gotta, time is of the, the sh- essence, girl. The show must go on like Serena's um, showroom. <laughs> that was good. Oh, that was a cute. That okay, was good. That's what you did there. I know. Um, read or reply. I need to read and reply because I have something to say. We'll go, Chipsy. Pop off. <laughs> These chips are so fucking delicious. You know when a chip is just so addictive and you're like, I am that. A chip no, is nothing like without chips. the dip. I need French onion dip. You always have a dip with your chip? My fridge always has a dip. That's impressive, but I feel like that's a lot of work. No. Well, when you're in LA with a car and it's very easy, or when you live right by a grocery store, you can just pick it up. Girl, don't start <laughs> this when you're in LA with a car. Like, we don't have bodegas down the damn street. This is true, but our bodegas do not sell dips. Yeah, I was like, I never My bought dip from a bodega. Dips? What kind of I dip, went to girl? Key food for that. Queso? All types of dips. I'm Probably sorry. For $15. Um, <laughs> Black Lives Matter Market has nutritional yeast. So they have everything. Mm. Nutritional yeast? Yeah, I have to yeast? go out of my way to get that yes. type of stuff. Uh-uh, because the the one by you... I have to walk a couple blocks. You got it on the corner. By my oh, yeah, corner, right we're getting toast, to, 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 to... What's this called? The people that make the chips. What's her, what's her corn chips? Maria. Mm-hmm. No, it's not even Maria. Now it's she's... Like a, 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 yes, essentially. <laughs> I'm not going to give away too much to the damn stalkers. (laughs) What is your Reddit reply? Okay, so my Reddit reply is is a, um, it's a coupled Reddit reply. I really like doing these because I like to have like a theme in a moment. But essentially, I am really happy that I'm like leaning into my spirituality, doing offerings, doing the work, learning, talking to my mom a lot about things. And just like, it's like you're a, a lifelong student. Of, of this space and this practice. Um, and it was really interesting because I watched a um, IGTV that was saved down of this guy who I find to be a little bit problematic at times. He's like all the celebrities, Godfather. So he's like Kehlani, Summer Walker, Jay Versace. They, I think SZA, like a lot of them work with him. So I was looking at him a little sideways, like, ooh. <laughs> are you really about mm-hmm. it or are you just like getting to the bag and i don't know this man so i can't comment but um his igtv was really interesting in that he spoke about um how a lot of people call what we do santeria and it's not necessarily santeria but it's like a it's been you know syncretized over time and 
that's just what people identify it as. And a lot of Cubans and Puerto Ricans and Dominicans have adopted certain terms within that, but like, that's not what we do. And he explained it so well. And I was like, yeah, I'm fucking with this. And it was really nice. Mm. And I'm loving to see like people exploring more about like traditionally African religions. And I'll say that broadly because some people are practicing things from Ghana. Some people are practicing things from democratic Republic of the Congo, like whatever it may be. It's beautiful to see, you know, people trying new things, exploring. Now what I'm leaving on red, y'all niggas go and post this shit on Instagram. Why? (laughs) That is not what any of this is about. Like, low-key it's kind of a secretive tradition Mm -hmm. and y'all really do anything for clout and likes and have full-on ceremonies on your instagram pages yikes which is so disturbing so concerning whoever your godparents are are clearly not on top of you because that's not what we do that's not how we move like Mm -hmm. at all i'm fully leaving that on red so if anybody comes to me on some, oh, do you know da 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 da, and you send me their IG page and they got their full on business on Front Street, it's a no. It's a chop. I don't fuck with that. And I can't obviously tell people how to practice and worship, but like that should just be a no. It's like, do people, damn, I don't know what people be doing in church. I was gonna be like, do people go on live in church? Sometimes they, they probably do. Sure some people do, but I feel like it's the stakes <laughs> seem a bit different comparatively, right? Like, yes, but also it's like a moment of worship. Like, do you sit and put like you praying privately with your family mm-hmm. on the internet? Yeah. Some people do. I I don't think that's appropriate, and I also I also would argue that, in my opinion, it would be more valuable to do that in your religion since it's less known. Mm. Like when people are praying to God or doing something Christian, like a baptism or something on Instagram, I'm like, what? Why? Why are you Mm -hmm. sharing this? But I could see how someone from your religion is like, oh, I would like to share knowledge about this religion that is a little less popular in the United States. Um, So maybe more black people can be exposed to it. So I Mm -hmm. actually am a little less judgmental for people in your religion doing that. So and it's I like have demystifying. a problem mm-hmm. if you talk so- about it and you are answering questions, but there are certain things that like, like literally within our religion, even if you, my sister who grew up with it for all her life wasn't initiated, she can't be in those rooms. She can't be privy to those things. Like it's literally like gate kept for initiates only. So Wait, your sister's not a part of it? When she wasn't. My sister oh. didn't get initiated until... She was pregnant with my niece, so seven years ago. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, wait, was it okay that we were there in the rooms? It was fine yeah, that was you like were there, there, but remember when they were like, like don't be looking all up in here. Yeah, they like, told me that, don't be looking. That, yeah, they that's the whole thing. So, and, I, and as much as I wanted, like, you, ha- I had the urge. I was like, fuck, I wish I could document this, but you just knew that it Yeah, it's shouldn't. kind of disrespectful. Yeah. Someone from who's not a part Especially when you're not in it. Yeah. yeah. But I... I, I do you understand how someone who is a part of it and wants to like, you know, bring more, the word you use to mystify it. Mm-hmm. I could see the value in that, but yeah, I think yeah. there's definitely like levels of what's appropriate, but like mm-hmm. I've been seeing full on ceremonies that should not be public on yeah. fucking Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm like, 
I'm unwell. This Maybe is there crazy. are different sex and in certain ones that is okay. Because I don't understand how if that's like a literal rule, why someone would do it. Because these niggas don't care. And like, we're in this era of oversharing, right? They're so literally doing me. shit for clout and for likes and for people to be like, oh my God, like, what is that? Like, even Summer Walker, like... I personally don't post any of my like religious stuff on the internet. Some people do like, it's not the end of the world. There's tons of documentaries and films and stuff on it, but like, nah, Mm-mm. so I'm leaving that on red. Um, so for all the fugazi fraudulent practitioners, <laughs> I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm judging you and I'm praying for you. Hmm. Period. Nice, nasty. Nice, nasty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will hop in with my on red first. It's real quick. I've been perusing the apps a little bit, and people are still smoking cigarettes. And as a person who stops smoking, I, thought, I don't smoke cigarettes no more. When? Oh. I thought when you drink. When you have smoke you seen them? me smoke cigarettes? No, I'm saying when did you quit though? You can't. You can't throw the stone and hide your hand. I just seen you smoke a cigarette, girl. No, you didn't. Like last year. Mm, if I hit it last year, I probably was like trying to. And then I was just like, ugh, I can't. Like I haven't smoked cigarettes in at least two years. Um, okay. Shout out to you. And I even, I quit vaping too. Cause I just don't like, like it turns my stomach. I don't know what happened, but I can't vape anymore. Like I can't. Right. <laughs> Shade hits the vape. Well, and I don't do know. You... I just saw a couple guys on the app smoking cigs, and I was like, mm, I just don't think I could do it. Like, I'm you just, don't even want to smell that I in don't want to smell it. I don't want to see it. I agree. It. No, that I get. Yeah. And I feel like it's, it's not them fair to posting, judge them. But they're also posting on the app with the cigarette. As so like you a, know that they're a smoker. Are they European? You think that's why? No. Mm-mm. I feel like they like they're like posting like they think it's like cool, and I think that's kind of weird. Yeah, twenty twenty three. That's true. I, I won't judge the smokers. Fine, I was a smoker, but get a I just don't want to do it anymore. Personally, yes, yeah. And the Did- posing with it as an accessory on the app, like you can put that you smoke in the little thing. You know, I think people are like. They don't even realize it. And I was talking to someone and she was like, I realized in pictures, I always had my vape and it just like started to disgust me. Yeah. And I was watching Baddies West and the DJ, DJ Sky. She stayed with that vape. Every scene, she's blowing out air. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I saw that. I'm like, you look gross. (laughs) Yeah. Put it down for a second. (laughs) I only smoke them when they're around me. Like, I didn't buy that. Like, but it's just Mm. here. I keep you trying. Like, I probably will excuses. try to hit your vape and then I'll just be like, mm, no, like I just keep trying. But I'm also, I'm terrified of vaping at this point. I don't know what the hell is in the damn vape. And right. I just really feel like I shouldn't be vaping I think anymore. the damage is already done. I'm kidding. <laughs> like, I got also, out. sorry for using the word addict. You're not supposed to say You're that. You're not supposed to say that. <clears throat> um, and then I'm going to reply to... Um, just taking more moments to like romance my life 
and as of late, it's been through jazz. Like I've been finding that I am constantly just like watching something or being stimulated by something. And it just bores me so much. Sometimes I'm like, what am I going to throw on? Like right now I'm in a, a lapse of shows. Like nothing is holding my attention or like is very interesting right now. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just put on some like music. Oh, I know why Shadi made that face. <laughs> Cause we were working to like Christmas jazz. jazz recently it's a nice little like background sound it's so good she's not even christian to zone out i can listen to christmas jazz but um a couple of my favorite songs um there's a song called my little brown book it's duke ellington and john coltrane another mm. one is it never entered my mind from the miles davis quintet um i fall in love too easily miles davis nancy with the laughing face which is a coltrane song a lot of miles and coltrane um and Classic. just such a wrong. vibe and just makes me feel like I have some peace of mind. So if anybody's looking for a way to quiet the brain, I recommend. Mm-hmm. I love well, that. If you were in LA, mm-hmm. I would suggest you went to Sip and Saunter, Black Owned Cafe, and they recently had a huge jazz night, but you're not. I mean, hey. <laughs> Wait, one more thing. <laughs> she keep giving us grief chat. I know, right? I'm like, mm, I'll, I'll next I time. I was also just going to also shout out the Instagram page, Some Jazz Playing, which is like hilarious. I don't know if y'all follow that page. They'll mm. post like kind of like ratchet ass clips, but they'll put like amazing jazz music behind it. And it makes the, the clip look like so cinematic. And I think it's like genius. So check I've out seen that page. Some Jazz Playing. I love that. Um, you would think I'd be prepared since I'm going after last. all that time. <laughs> wow. Um, well, I'll just reply to finally LA weather is LAing. Um, we had a very rough winter. Apparently, this is like the it was the wettest winter since like 19 something. Someone was telling me. Um. So finally, the sun is out. Next week, we're going to be hitting 80. Um, So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm very ready to not be looking like I have jaundice and (laughs) um, getting some more brownness in my skin. I always like to look brown and dewy and and glowing and glazed. So I'm excited for that. Um, I actually just ordered some Jergens browning lotion so we'll see what that does um so i'll reply to that and then on red i mean really i'm leaving the fact that you know i'm an adult and i have to pay for my own things on red (laughs) it just seems like money comes and it goes very easily but i will say my hands have been itching a lot Mm -hmm. and i am a trinidadian woman so i believe in the shit that they told me And what I was told (laughs) is that if your hands are itchy all the time, your palms, it means a lot of money is coming your way. So let's call that into the ether. Mm -hmm. Money, come into my bank account, come into the SoFi, come Mm -hmm. into the city, come into the BOA. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Call it in, call it in. Thank you. Ashe, Ashe. Ashe, I just did did some money um, spells myself. So... I just want to sprinkle that upon the, and I'd be praying yes. for you hoes. Mm-hmm. Same here. Mm-hmm. One um, of okay. these gods will do something. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to cut off the, the prayers because we need to yeah bring in yeah. the abundance. Lean in, lean in. Um, I have a hotline bling. Mm, bling, um, bling. This 
her, and it's also kind of like an on red. It's the fact that I am in my thirties now and I'm not doing the, the scary hours hook up, hit up times. Like, please stop hitting me up after two o'clock in the morning. I don't know who you're trying to reach, but I am not home. I'm in my, I'm sleeping. Why are you who contacting me at these hours? This is crazy talk. On a she Monday night. She told me night? this the other day and I and she I and thought, I was like, yeah, I thought you liked that. No, absolutely not. No. She's, oh, a wow. lady. She's a lady. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, Somebody whoa. call me at four o'clock in the morning. Are you <gasps> out of that's your disrespectful. mind? No, no, no. That's, that's a little too much. You know how we posted that thing on the page? Yes. Delete their number, put a gravestone. To that's the graveyard. I would write, you are disrespectful. Don't ever call me again. I wrote, you tried it. And then ah. like, I was lit. And so like that one, I kind of excused. But then this person messaged me yesterday at like a reasonable time, like 9 p.m. Hey, what you up to tonight? I'm like, oh, I'm just getting out of a dinner. You can pull up. Why is it that I'm like, okay, cool. I'm home. You can come. Why am I now waiting to reply? I'm calling. Oh, I'm, I just went to go get a drink with my boy. Why are you going to get drinks? It doesn't make any fucking sense. You know, you know niggas gonna nig. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I'm home. Cool. Okay. See you soon. I'll hit you up when I'm coming back around your way. It's 1230. It's 130. I'm messaging. Hey, it's not going to work. Turn around. I'm going to bed. About face. And the energy's like, okay, cool. Let's try another time. No, that's not the energy that I'm giving you. <laughs> the energy is you tried it again. And now I feel like you're playing on my phone because you keep hitting me up to link up. And then you keep taking your sweet ass time. Are you trying to see me or what? Like He's playing on your top. You're pl- that's what the playing on my top. You're playing on my top, playing on my phone, and wasting my time. And honestly, if the young man would have ended up coming through yesterday, I would have been so fucking turned off by the whole situation. That's why I told him, never mind. You could keep it. Get somebody else to do it. <laughs> Wrong bitch. <laughs> so many thoughts on this, but it feels more Patreon bitch. Um, appropriate. So you can really get into the nitty gritty of things. But... I commend you. Yeah. Now, I mean, did I think about, oh, and I messaged the person this morning, like, you got to chill on this trying to come to my crib, like, ooh, at all hours. Yes. Like, that's crazy. Right. Have a little respect. Have some fucking respect. I'm a grown ass woman. I had to go to the fucking, I had a personal training session at 820 in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, not, I have to go to the chiropractor. <laughs> could, I could be doing that too. I don't have no, have no fucking time. I'm waiting for you to pull up. That is just crazy. And it's really caused me to reflect because, you know, about five years ago, I was with the shits, put my phone on loud, take a nap, wake up, wouldn't matter. I don't have time for that shit anymore. I used to have a man showing up at my doorstep six, seven o'clock in the I was going to say the sun would be up. <laughs> and I loved it. I never had that experience. Because I never yeah, lived is, alone, I guess. It is different times and... Again, we can divulge more in like a Patreon episode, but my boyfriend really talks to me about these things. And he was like, you was really out here moving like a nigga and you a whole lady. Like you can't be having niggas move like this with you. You you a lady. You I'd be like, all right, don't queen me. But (laughs) yes, you're right. I am a fucking lady. Yeah. These niggas need to learn. And if you give them an inch, 
They're going to take a mile. Miles yes. and miles and miles. Please right. just come correct. I'm already right. letting you, like, make same-day plans with me. I'm, I'm of right. the mind that you got to let me know, like, Wednesday. Like, hit me up Monday for Wednesday so that I could be prepared. Mm-hmm. I have plans. I'd be doing That's things. the rules. The book. You know, I want to go get a drink first. Like, what mm-hmm. are we doing? Like, well, nah. do, are you are you looking to have like a datey element in it? Or are you just more so like, you know, we could get it in whatever. Maybe I'm looking for a datey element. Um, I think it would depend. Like at this point with this person, I'm like, okay, so you are putting yourself into ho ass lane. <laughs> so now I'm gonna start messaging you at three and four o'clock in the morning when I'm coming home from being out. But I don't even have the energy to do that shit my damn self. <laughs> I got home the other day at like three o'clock in the morning and I wanted to go into my bed. Like I just, I'm moving it's differently. Not, it's not like we used to be. I'm it moving really so different. I used to blow up people's phones 3 a.m. What are you doing? What are you doing? Like crazy shit. Same. Grown in my 30s. But I wonder if it's it. like... I don't want you to take this the wrong way because I'm considering this the same way about myself, but it's like, have we elevated or are we just tired? <laughs> no, I know. I think it's a combination it's of, a combination. The, of, yeah, of both for sure. Because I'm you not trying to say you're not elevated. Yeah. But, like, but you need your rest. Yeah. I'm like, if this person were to come, I would have been so half-assly like getting it in. Like it didn't even make any sense oh. at this point. Listen, my man be looking at me if it's late and he'd be like, yeah, you're, I'm not fucking you. Like, I'm tired. And I'd be like, you would have been fucking a starfish anyways. <laughs> a starfish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Regardless. Yep. So, anyway, word to the wise, PSA. It's not that hard. Just Send them to the grave, My good sis. That's a black girl doing shit. So, group chat. This week's Black Girl Doing Shit is A.V. Rockwell, who is a writer, director, and executive producer. A.V. was named one of Filmmaker Magazine's 25 New Faces of Independent Film. Her distinctive voice has been celebrated for slyly addressing issues of race, identity, and systematic oppression. Rockwell's new debut feature film, 1001, was written and directed for Focus Features. The film stars Tiana Taylor and was produced by Sight Unseen, Make Ready, and Hillman Grad. She has directed the Clio Award-winning short film, The Gospel, for Alicia Keys, and numerous high-end commercials, including Bumble, Super Bowl, Child, I do not know what um, L-I-I-I stands for. (laughs) I'm terrible. Um, spot featuring Serena Williams. Rockwell's short film Feathers was acquired by short by Searchlight Pictures ahead of its world premiere at twenty at the twenty eighteen Toronto International Film Festival. Both Feathers and her short series Open City Mixtape are streaming on the Criterion Collection. Rockwell studied filmmaking at NYU Tisch School of the Arts and has received fellowships from Tribeca Film Institute, the Sundance Institute, and the John S. Guggenheim Foundation. Thank you so much for stepping into the group chat, AV. We're so happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Welcome. Yeah, we saw this film. I saw it in L.A. at a screening, and the ladies went and saw it. Um, in Brooklyn this past weekend and we were all so touched by it. We were like, we need to 
talk to AV on the show. We have to have her on the group chat. Um, and we have to talk about A Thousand and One, which is the film that is on everyone's mind right now. It's in everyone's group chat. It's all over the internet. <laughs> um, we are excited for you to be here. So thank you again. Now, I'm, I'm so delighted to talk with you. And obviously, I appreciate you guys checking it out. And let's talk. <laughs> yeah. And now a word from our sponsors. Yo, if you thought the McCrispy was busting, hold up. Bacon and Ranch have entered the chat. Say hello to the Bacon Ranch McCrispy. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I participate in McDonald's. Limited time only. Hey, group chat. What does it mean to be black and unlimited? It means being exactly who you are, to be unlimited in your potential, to be unlimited in your creativity, to be unlimited in your imagination, to be unlimited in your vision. Throughout the year, join Walmart in amplifying the voices of black brands and creators, giving them a stage to spotlight their unlimited brilliance. That's Black and Unlimited. Visit walmart.com slash black and unlimited to learn more. All right, y'all. It's time for the group chat. So for listeners who may not know yet, um, 1001, uh, it's in theaters. Uh, it follows a character played by Tiana Taylor. Her name is Inez. Um, this is a character that I felt like I knew. Um mm-hmm. She is a New Yorker, just like us. Um, It follows her, and she takes back her young son, Terry, from the foster care system um, secretly. And she holds on to their secret, and they hold on to their secret together. Um, And it's really a story about a mother and son and their home, their identity, finding some stability in an ever-changing New York City. Um, And we're from New York, so we've seen it firsthand. We're all from Brooklyn, um, so once that, what what is it called again? That Barclays Centers went mm-hmm. up, like the mm-hmm. whole borough changed. Yeah. Um, lots of people were displaced. Are you from New York? I'm from New York. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Queens. I did go to school in Brooklyn, and yeah, I witnessed all of that too. Yeah, I wondered because I felt like Harlem specifically felt like almost like another character in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a reason why you chose Harlem? I hear you're from Queens. So mm-hmm. why'd you pick Harlem? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I needed a place to drop a pin. I think the city in general is changing so drastically. Um, and so when as I was formulating the plot and deciding where do these characters go, and and I had to commit. And I felt like if I can't tell the story of all these predominantly black neighborhoods in the city that I love and that I see being erased. Um, Harlem was the best place to set the stage for the short story because it not only means something to us as New Yorkers, but it means something to black identity in general. It is the Mecca. So much of our history has happened on the streets of Harlem. And so I think to see it erased uh, as the city was changing, it's it was it was devastating, not only in the ways that I've talked about, but just like when I think about also just the human price, um, the hu- like the human cost of that. I think you see that through Terry and Anna's journey as well. And so I think of Harlem and the way we know historically generations, how people have fought in that community to get to where they are and get to where they were in the 90s and the 2000s, just for gentrification to knock them down again. So I think Harlem means something to 
Black identity, to our heritage. It is a walkable piece of American history. And there's a tragedy mm-hmm. in that. But there's also a tragedy, again, for our community in the ways that if you think about what 80s Harlem was and what would have been the backdrop for Terry's early years and also Inez's coming of age years, um, it was, it was, it's a triumph what they're able to accomplish over the course of the story. So I just felt like if I could commit anywhere, Harlem was the best place uh, to set sto- to set this story because of how universally it speaks to anyone mm-hmm. in New York, in New York City and beyond it. I love that. Yeah, how Glenn you- and I. Sorry, Glenn and no, I were no. talking about this earlier, where we were like, I wonder if everyone gets how important that was. Like. It was an immediate thing for us, I think, as Native New Yorkers, as Black people, understanding gentrification. And there were moments that it felt so clear. But I was like, are the gentrifiers watching this? Like, is it clicking for them? I hope it's (laughs) clicking for them. And I wonder, like, how you thought through the intentionality of certain moments that you had. Obviously, you don't want to give up away too much of the film. But there were just, like, little, like it's in your face. Like you can clearly see the neighborhood changing. You can clearly see people here who weren't here a couple of years ago um, and how you thought about that. Yeah. I mean, I think I just really wanted to unpack how gentrification works. I think it, it really is important to pe- for people to understand that this isn't a movie that is exclusively about gentrification. You know, gentrification, you're just seeing the beginnings of the mm-hmm. way it, it began to transform. You're seeing how we got to what Harlem is now. So you're seeing the beginnings mm-hmm. of that and you're seeing all these things that set the stage for it. Because at the end of the day, like, I was I was inspired to tell the story based off what was happening, you know, with, regarding gentrification in the city. But what I realized as I got into the process of writing this movie is that we were under attack the entire time. So you see all of that in this story. And I think in the ways mm-hmm. that uh, people yes. who, if this is not the experience, if they're not of a community in the way they'll see it, they'll see that too. You know, I, I really wanted to, I wanted to understand how we got here and I wanted to unpack that. And I wanted people to see no matter what side of, the, the coin that they're on, I want them to see how gentrification works, how it really works. Because I think in a, a lot of the ways that I've seen gentrification represented, especially on screen, um, a lot of it is very like at the surface layer. You know, you don't see all the different elements that's at the stage of it and who the real players are, who the, who the people that are really coming into your homes and, and, and pulling you out of it. Um, and so you see that in very visceral ways, but you also experience it in very like more ominous ways as well. You see how the mm-hmm. whole neighborhood is transformed um, without giving too much of the movie away and how that, so you, you, you see it eases in, it creeps, it creeps up mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. it finally has a face. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so I think yes. all of that, including the events that the entire time you see all the ways in which cities like New York and policies, like what was happening at the time that Terry's coming of age are designed to rip our families apart. And if our families are ripped apart, whether it's our boys being pulled off the street, our men being locked in jails or whatever it is, um, women like Inez being diminished in the way they are. Like if we are, if our homes are pulled apart and our families are pulled apart, then there's nobody there to fight gentrification in the first place. You know, so, so I think that the movie definitely sets the stage in which we can see that we can see the direct and indirect ways that impacts this family. In addition, just to seeing what is going on in the home and what kind of holes are there, are there within the fabric of the family unit uh, that we need to work through within our community, you know, just between the men and the women. Totally. Yeah. That was something that was so powerful for me was that one moment in the film when the unit finds each other and we're seeing like this 
like nuclear family and just how mm-hmm. hard the, the characters wanted to hold on to that because none of them had that um, when they were growing up. And I don't know, you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but something else that the film really talks about are a lot of these, like a lot of the systematic oppression mm-hmm. and within the city of New York, I think it's really interesting too. like these systems that exist, the foster care system, the um, prison industrial complex, and all of these characters are live are moving in and out of these systems mm-hmm. and just trying to like find their humanity um, amongst it all. And these systems continue to fail them over and over and over again. Um, and it's very real and very true. Was any of that, how familiar were you with those types of stories? Had you, did you grow up with those types of stories around you, um, the people that were in those systems? Yeah, I mean, I think that even if they weren't fully my experience, I didn't go through foster care. I've never been, I've never served any time or anything like that. Um, I think this, the world of the story is something that I definitely felt was familiar and close to the world. Like I know all of these characters, you know, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. they're all, they're pieces of me in all of them, but I think they also just represent the, the, the nurturing experience that I had and the people that were, that I crossed paths with, crossed paths with throughout my life. And so, um, so I think, and in, in the ways that I was familiar with it, I, I lent that to the story, but I also did a wave of research as well. You know, anything that I didn't know, I made sure that I, I backed it up with research. So in the case of the foster care system as well, um, I, I really wanted to make sure that I spoke to people that worked in the system past and present. I, I read a lot about it. You know, I did a lot of research to make sure that I was presenting it and commenting on it from an informed place. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. to make sure that I wasn't, I was being fair in, in my portrayal and honest in my portrayal to the best of my ability. Totally. Yeah. And it definitely it's comes definitely through. A, yeah, it absolutely comes through. It's definitely like a screwed up system. I have a friend who's a lawyer in that world and she comes home crying every day because she's like this, like just seeing it firsthand is just so hard. Um, and obviously you're dealing with children. So that adds another layer that obviously pulls at your heartstrings if you have a heart. Um, <laughs> but outside of Harlem being a character, obviously the lead, um, Inez played by Tiana Taylor. Um, how did that casting happen? Because we've seen so much growth with Tiana. I remember her from uh, Super Sweet 16. My Super Sweet 16. Yes. Um, and obviously her as a singer. Um, and, you know, this was a different role for her and she really rose to the occasion. I thought she did an incredible job. How did that casting happen. Yeah, I mean, I think I I was very, very specific in what I was looking for and who I wanted to portray Inez. Um, And I knew it was going to be a tricky balance. So we we saw a volume of women because I think it was obvious that this was going to be a challenging role for any actress Um, and an exciting challenge, but a a challenge nonetheless. But but I think I also needed to balance it with somebody who fully embodied in a truthful way who Inez is in the world. Like I really felt the parts of her that felt New York. I felt the parts of her that felt like she grew up on the streets and and just like had the rawness uh, of the character that was on the page. And so it was it was really hard to find that. And even though there are so many actresses that I admire that are working in Hollywood and, and the best of them, um, I felt like I needed to feel like this person really understood Inez, had, a, had compassion for her and, and I could feel their empathy for her through their performance. Uh, I felt like if it was somebody who didn't feel connected to Inez, they didn't know her or they weren't her at some point in their life, it would come off performative. It would, it wouldn't come 
instead mm-hmm. of dignifying her as she is, it would be more like somebody looking down at her. Um, so I think by when we got to Tiana's tape, by that point, I see so many women and seen so much of what didn't line up for me that she really stood out like a gem. And, and I really wanted Inez, this celebration of uh, Black womanhood through this character, I really wanted that to be amplified in the casting of whoever played her. I really wanted to feel that charisma of us. I really wanted to feel the uniqueness of us, what makes us unique. And so I think Tiana, her being someone who also has very unique characteristics, she is charismatic in her own right. But I mean, I told her like all your physical features that are intrinsic to you being a black woman, your voice, which is unique to you, like all the things that are unique to you that you've been told to reject are things that I you have the opportunity to embrace in this character. Because I think in many ways we've been taught and conditioned to reject who we are, especially if you're that inner city black girl. If, like if you're a hood girl, period, a hood black girl, period, you're rejected even though you are the foundation of <laughs> all black womanhood, yep. period. You know, so I think I think she was the best um, that I saw in embodying everything that I was looking to gain out of of seeing Inez, the character in my head on screen. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of, she killed it. The, I just like, wanted to say, representat- the, oh, sorry, go ahead, Chelsea. Just really quick, thank you for saying that because there were moments when I was watching and I had to like check myself because I was like judging her for like momentarily, and then I had to like sit back and think about the humanity of her character and like all that she's been through and all the love that she wanted and like needed and was yearning for. So I think the way you wrote the story the way it was directed and the way Tiana played that character really let me sit in that. And like, I can't really judge her. Like she's been through X, Y, and Z and like made me empathize by the end with her and her story and who that woman would be. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I a thousand percent. we, we look at women like her, um, people who don't come from that experience and are often asking them to apologize for being a reflection of their conditions in their environment, instead of trying to actually change (laughs) the circumstances that, that they come Mm -hmm. from, you know, and be nurturing to them in the ways that they didn't have access, you know, to certain levels of nurturing. So um, I think you see that. And and I'm happy that a lot of that humanity um, that I was aiming for, that it came through for you. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to mention, you said earlier, that when you were speaking with Tiana, you told her to, that she could bring through like herself into the role, specifically with her, how she presents her features. And something that was so interesting for me in the film was this conversation that was coursing through it uh, around colorism. Mm-hmm. Um, just curious what, what you were thinking about when you were including that into the script. Yeah, I felt like I couldn't tell Inez's story without addressing the the colorism layer within it. I think that is very honest. Like, I mean, if you all grew up in New York City, I felt like I certainly couldn't avoid it. I, I'd be surprised if you, mm-hmm. if you guys were able to. So I think that with Inez, it was so important to tell that story, not only because it's a reflection of the world that she was in, but this is a story about a Black woman who is desperate to be loved. Um, and it informs so much of her choices uh, for better and especially for worse. You know, I think just her feeling so misunderstood, feeling so invisible and fighting and giving so so much to everyone else, praying that she'll get that in return. And you can't tell that story without incorporating colorism in it because even though women, women from any walk of life 
can identify with not fully being seen in different ways, you know, just with misogyny being what it is. But colorism is specific to women of color and especially to us as Black women. And Mm -hmm. I think for her and the ways that she experiences colorism in very devastating ways uh, in the film, um, without giving too much away, it just shows that no matter how no matter how much she gives, she's still not fully enough. Um, mm. And and that is the story of all of us. It's like we can be there when you yep. need somebody to keep your home. We can be there when you need somebody to be on the front lines for you. But what it needs that when we need that full love, that full fight. Um, somehow we're still not getting men that will stand side by side with us. So that's important. And I think it was also important for Terry as well, Terry's journey as well, because in the ways that we see him also confronted about where he stands on a lot of these topics and his attitudes towards the women in his life that have loved him and nurtured him over the course of the movie. It's like, what kind of man did she raise? You know, is she, has she raised and nurtured a man who is going to treat her like everyone else has um, as, he, as he steps mm-hmm. into what he wants to be in the world? Who am I in general, but who am I also to, to women? Who am I going to be to her? So I think colorism was was incredibly important for both of them. I love yeah. that you bring that up in terms of like their dynamic. So I went with my boyfriend and he's from East New York, very much a, like a New York guy. And it was very, very interesting to watch the dynamic of mother and son, especially mm-hmm. if you think of like, he has an immigrant mother. She came from Jamaica. She was hustling, grinding, you know? And like, he was like, damn near in tears in the way Mm -hmm. that he like resonated so much with like that dynamic and like obviously we all are women here and so I think the mother-son dynamic is so 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 interesting to all the points that you bring up in terms of how you then treat other women and the ups and downs I think of that right because like it wasn't necessarily, she couldn't do that all on her own. And again, we don't want to get too much into it, but like understanding how important it is to have both figures in your life, mm. um, how she may have felt rejected and not being able to provide all of that. Like it was just a, a wild resonation. Like I found myself in the beginning, like really tearing up because I was like, I have seen this little boy. I know this little boy. And I also can feel her pain at the same time. Like to your point, Chelsea, like wanting to be mad at her, but then being like, damn, <laughs> like you have to empathize. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that leads us to Terry, right? That was such Ugh. an interesting choice. Um, incredible choice, obviously to have three different actors play Terry in three different stages of his life. Um, can you speak to, to that decision? Yeah. I mean, I think it it was more practical than anything. Um, I knew that I wanted to jump through these three different eras in New York. Like if I'm sweeping through an era Mm -hmm. that was pretty close to my coming of age, um, just doing the historical research that I did, what was happening in New York when, and where, where were the turning points for me? I mean, obviously so much of this story is structured around what was happening in New York and in particular, the changing of the guard. So I think that 2001 being a pivotal year is like, where is Terry? And I think there is a story that coincides with him um, in terms of what was happening with him and how that plays into what his journey is in the film, um, especially as somebody who's pl- who's hiding in plain sight. So I had to, I had, that means I had to jump through three, three time periods. Uh, and I really, I didn't want to commit to just one. This wasn't going to be a 90s movie. It wasn't going to be a movie that was exclusive 94. I'm like, no, I really want to reflect on 
the, this pivotal time that I remember seeing and feeling. Um, so if I needed to jump through this in, this whole period, then it was like, okay, is it going to be two actors or three? And we were really torn about it for a long time. Um, I think that what, what it came down to was just practically how, you know, six-year-old Terry, he's not going to give me what I need in a 13-year-old. But at the same time, 17-year-old Terry is not going to give me what I what I need out of a 13-year-old. In terms of seeing that on screen, mm -hmm. seeing what he goes through at 13 mm -hmm. on screen and feeling that, feeling the youthfulness of somebody who has to be confronted by what he is confronted in that at that age, you know, uh, even if it's just being innocent and just being girl, boy, yeah, girl crazy and stuff like that. There's still certain things that growing up in this environment that he would have been um, a target of. And and so I think that was really important to me. And then also it was like, okay, if he's this age, then all the actors around him have to be this age too. So if you think about mm -hmm. how some of his, some of the peer group that we see around Terry over the course of the movie, it's like, okay, do I have all these adults <laughs> that are playing 17 now going down to 13? Like it would just been weird. So <laughs> I just felt like I needed to see the full arc through three different boys. Um, and then if I'm going to see through three different boys, then that's how I landed on, on these boys, which I think was ultimately better for the movie. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it also makes you think about adultification of black people, right? Because when he's a little boy, you're like, Oh my God. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. as he grows up, you're like this, he looked like a grown man. <laughs> and some people like don't have that same empathy or connection for black boys as mm -hmm. they become young black men mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. like so if you could feel for this little boy when he's six how does that change once he becomes of age and like and, makes i think a lot of people question even ahead, as a preacher. and adding to that it's just like you know people always talk about the inner child right so as you're watching mm -hmm. the character grow up you always see the young terry mm -hmm. inside of him and you know so intimately where he started so then you understand his mindset a lot more his hesitation towards people and things and yeah and the way really he's so gentle and like like i don't know you just want to give him a hug mm -hmm. um but about terry mm -hmm. so terry inez and lucky mm -hmm. so i feel like your characters were so dynamic as i said before it was not like i could just be mad i was also empathetic i could also understand I felt like Lucky was a really interesting character. Lucky, at first, I didn't like mm -hmm. Lucky at all. Me either. I was not messing with Lucky. I was like, who is this man? Who's get this him man? Out the house. <laughs> I really wanted him to get out the house. <laughs> but then by the end, like we see glimpses of the better sides of Lucky, even though we still see the glimpses of the not so great sides of Lucky. Do you think, well, not do you think, it is your <laughs> film. I, I wanted to know, did Lucky really love Inez? Um, I think so. I'm trying to think about how to talk about it without, you know, saying too much, right? But um <laughs> Yeah. But I think I think he did, but in the ways that he was limited, I think that speaks again to the themes of the movie and Inez's motivation. She is giving so much to the people in her life that she cares the most about. But you know, as you said, you didn't fully like Lucky. I think there are aspects of him that aren't fully likable. And yet she gave to him anyway. So what is the price of that when we love ourselves so little that we will give love to people that don't fully deserve it, you know? And if people recognize that, mm. that is also going to impact how they treat us. Because can you fully respect someone 
who gives you something uh, because they get, they think so little of themselves, you know, uh, because you know, like, I think mm-hmm. it's hard to respect somebody who doesn't respect themselves. So in that way, it's hard to love mm-hmm. someone who doesn't fully love themselves, you know? Um, and so I think that he does care about her deeply. I think he does love her, but I think in the ways that he knows that if she was really operating at her highest level, she, she would have let go of him a long time ago and she would have moved forward with mm-hmm. somebody who's fully committed to her. Um, I, I think he kind of recognizes that um, and in certain ways he abuses that, you know, I think even if it's intentional or not, you know, I think in certain ways he's abusing the fact that um, he knows that he has her regardless of what she does. If there's no price, if there's no bar, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we can actively see all of them, though, attempting to break generational curses, even if they don't know that that's what they're doing. Like, I feel like we talk about the intentionality of that. Like, oh, when I have kids, I want to be mindful of X, Y, Z. So like, if you don't have that language, but you're still actively working against it, like, I give him a little credit. And also, he was working with the tools he had. I'm like, my uncle is a lucky yeah, lucky might be better than my <laughs> uncle. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I, God. I, think, I think he does try. I think he does try, and I think there's certain realizes that certain realizations that he doesn't make until it's too late. But I do think that he's imperfect. Right. They're all imperfect, you know. And so you see that. But I think I do think that in his heart, um, in his heart, he's a good man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I laughed. I cried. I went through a very crazy emotional roller coaster watching this watching this film. How do you hope viewers leave the theaters after they see a thousand and one? Um, I mean, I hope that they feel like they have taken away a lot from it. Um, it's it's hard to sing you know single it down to one element. I think this is a movie that has a lot of layers. Um, it is a movie that probably requires multiple viewers. And I'm not and I'm not just saying that because <laughs> I want people to go out and see it in theaters. It is in theaters now, guys. But um, because it is rich, very richly layered. <laughs> but I think that, you know, in the takeaway mm-hmm. process, um, there is there's a lot that needs to be unpacked. But I think that in the ways people see themselves, it's like I need to have a conversation with myself. Um, in the way people see the dynamics of relationships that they're in, I need to have a conversation with people in my life that I, I see us in this. Um, and, but I think it's also a conversation between communities. And you guys talked earlier about like, you know, the gentrifiers and like, you know, how do other people process this? You know, it's just like, um, I think that this movie is going to leave people with conversations, you know, that need to be had. Yes. Um, and that's the best that I can hope to do. You know, I don't want to tell a story that I feel like I am just being a moralizer and I'm just like telling people how to live their life and, and judging. And, you know, it's like, no, I'm, I'm giving, I'm trying to give people tools for living. I'm trying to give people, you know, make people inspired to look at their lives in a different way and look at the world a different way, you know? And I think a lot of that is, is within this movie. And I think people have so much to identify with, whether it's like, you know, a mother and son, like everybody has a mama, right? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, or you're somebody's son or somebody's daughter. And I think there's so much in that. I think, unrequited love and the way that that speaks to what these characters are chasing in this movie, not, you know, not even amongst each other, mm-hmm. but in how they relate to their city and how they relate to, to New York. Um, and what's happening in New York is happening everywhere. So um, I think there's a lot for people to unpack. And so I just, I just hope that um, they come out of the experience of this movie different than the way they entered it. You know? Yeah. Well, I will second that in that 
I laughed, cried. Listen, we was downtown Brooklyn. It was a black ass movie theater. <laughs> People were talking, laughing. It was amazing. It was such a vibe. But then after, yeah, my boyfriend and I had like a three hour conversation. It unpacked so many things that I would have never innately thought to ask him or vice versa. It made me talk to my parents. It made me talk to my dad. Like it just really resonated on so many levels. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not like a movie person. So I'm just like, <laughs> she's not. Damn. This is great. So not. hats off to you because it was just an incredible, incredible film. And everyone, if you're listening, yes, go see it. Don't play it. Right. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I could talk to you on and on. I also would love to have you back on to learn more about your experience. Well, I'll just ask that really quick. You are a black woman, a young black woman in a predominantly white space, mm-hmm. directing, filmmaking. Can you speak to that experience at all? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's, it is a challenge. I think that uh, there has been chapters in my career where I think I've been underestimated, but I always embrace that. I, I embraced, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that's your problem if you want to underestimate me, baby. Come on now, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, but it, yeah, it is, it is. You know, you are confronted with sexism. You are confronted with racism. Um, but then I'm, I'm also, I'm also embraced in ways that are beyond what I would have thought. I mean, not only in people, not only from people in my community that have lifted me up, but also people that don't know my experience, didn't know Terry or Inez. You know, it's not their experience, but yet they still chose to get behind me and believe me in making this movie. Um, and and I, they identified with what was use, use, uh, universal about it. But in what was specific, they just had to trust and believe and and be an advocate for for what Mm -hmm. I had to say, you know. So I think that that has been beautiful, knowing that the people and the tribe that I'm building as I move forward in this business um, is not only made of people that look like me, you know, and and I don't want to be amongst I don't want to be a mirror of the people that have tried to push me out, that have tried to make the industry more exclusive. I want to show up in a way that's better than that. Um, and so I think that, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's been a challenging road, but it's also been a beautiful road and, and I'm appreciative of everybody across the board. Uh, not only the folks that look like me, um, but the folks that don't, that have showed up, you know, I think the movie also touches on the ways that we don't always show up for each other, not only as a community, you know, just, you know, amongst men and women, but also as sisters, you know, the sisterhood of black women. Um, and I think there's ways mm-hmm. in which we are intrinsically not going to relate to each other, whether it's because of our class or our education and things like that. Um, but then there's also ways in which we don't show up for each other because of because of the way we're conditioned to just kind of be infighting, you know? And so I do hate that when, when I come across that, but I think that we just have to continue to push past the way the world is designed to, to push us apart, you know? So, um, so it's, it's been an interesting road, but but I appreciate it. And I appreciate the way that the landscape is starting to change. Still got to keep pushing and fighting, but there's progress. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So well said. Well, wait, before we wrap, are you going to wrap, Chelsea? Yeah. But we could even maybe have to cut this out because it's, it's going to be a spoiler alert. But I saw a question that you wrote on your doc, Chelsea, and I had the same question. The last scene with Inez, the smile, where, like, I didn't know how to read it. And where is she going? It just, how, did you have a, a place in, I don't know. I, I was curious. I wanted to know. Like, she that's was, the mystery. The, the, the taxi driver <laughs> asked. I, I know. Did you, did you I'm want? definitely not getting the, that. 
<laughs> Use your imagination. I'm like, let's. Okay, at least my Yeah, I mean that, but that's part of the fun of it, you know, part of the fun of of, of leaving mm-hmm. the movie with closure, but also the the opening to new beginnings, um, which mm-hmm. so much of this movie is about, like, uh, you know, what does Inez say? There's more to life than fucked up beginnings, right? Um, and I think yes. she ends the movie mm-hmm. on that tip. So. I think that's as much as I can say. I love it. Mm-hmm. No, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's it. perfect. Can you please tell our listeners like where to find you, where to learn more? I don't know if you have any other projects mm-hmm. on the horizon. We love to get the inside scoop. Yeah, I'm mean, here, and I'm always going to ask. You can find me in the theaters with my movie A Thousand and One. Period. Period. <laughs> uh, you can also find me online. I'm, I'm on Twitter and, and Instagram. Um, just at A.B. Rockwell, straight straight to it. Um, and in terms of what I'm working on next, you know, I think it's too early to get into the specifics of it. But I do have a few projects that I'm really excited about, both in the feature space and TV. So, you know, things are moving along and, and I'm excited to enter new territory um, but I'm grateful that I got to start this way, start on you know, home ground and just acknowledging everything, you know, that has shaped me into the person and filmmaker I am today. Amazing. Well, I love that. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank congratulations. It's a pleasure talking with you. So wishing you, wishing you ladies yes. all the best. Um, and thank, thank you so you much so for supporting much. and continuing to uplift our film. Really. Yes, yes, and thank you for sharing your art with the world. Thank we appreciate you. All right, it. take care. Mm-hmm. What would you do? All right, so for what would you do, y'all? This is just something that I saw that was very crazy on like the shade room or something a few weeks ago. This girl was dating this guy, and he went and stole his ex girlfriend's YSL purse and gifted it to his new girlfriend. <laughs> no. And there was an air tag. Get this off (laughs) of here. What? And the ex-girlfriend goes up to the new girl who is she a cop? Like not a cop. I shouldn't say that. Confronts in um, a parking lot. The new the the new girlfriend is in there in the parking garage with her mom. And the ex is like, yo, that bag is mine. Look, here's pictures of me with it all on my Instagram. Like this boy did not buy this bag for me for you. He stole it from me. The mom is like, well, she don't know nothing about that. He gave her the bag. That's none of her business. <laughs> oh, which my is God. Crazy. So anyway, I mean, what would are you give it back? Thoughts? I know. Would you give the bag back? Yes. I would give the bag back. And then I'll be like looking at the dude like, what is wrong with you, bro? That's it depends on, depends on my financial state at the time. No. I might sell the bag. No, <laughs> no. Well, they, look, they, were very, they looked young. They seemed young. They might be in their early 20s. Yeah, in my early 20s. If that was my early 20s, maybe I would have kept the bag, but that's just so trifling. I wouldn't keep it. I'd probably like be like, oh, pick, deal with him. I think at my <laughs> age now, <laughs> um, I would give it back, I guess. But also, I couldn't bring myself to ask for the bag back. Oh, I would go get my bag. I think I could. But have, yeah. he, she didn't buy it. It was gifted to her. Still, I think that's my bag. And I know, but took like the bag. But how did he get the bag? Did I, he run he that stole bag? it from her. He I don't know that he actually home and bought it. it. Yeah, I don't know that he bought it for her to begin with. I think he just took her shit. Oh, he just stole her bag. Yeah, she bought. 
Correct. It's oh, on well, site that's for and multiple she people. File a police that's report. the thing. That's what I was thinking when I watched it. Actually, I would file a report missing stolen goods. Stolen yeah. That's that. Um, this makes me think of another funny story. That obviously is not a what would you do because that shit is. I'm not going to say ghetto. Low vibration. shit is low vibration. <laughs> um, this girl on TikTok is like a bottle girl, I think. Bottle girl dancer, you know. Mm. Blurred lines. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh my gosh, guys. You all are blowing me up, telling me that this bag that I was gifted is fake. The bag looks fucking crazy. Apparently, like, a guy who always comes to her bar was like, I got you a bag, baby. And got her this Dior bag. A Louis Vuitton. <laughs> awesome roses. <laughs> got her a Dior bag, bitch. Why I had the plastic wrap on the handles, which is looking all types of bad. Mm-mm. But she really went on TikTok being like, oh, I got a trick. Da, 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 da. And he gifted her a fake bag and I she was, was posting about screaming it? She i mean know. she's just laughing at this point because she's like i don't you know have really nice things like i don't know the difference like i didn't think anything about this but immediately in the comments were like baby that's a fior, <laughs> Not a fior. i'm glad she can laugh at it some people might have been like no he bought it for me and like really like going up i just feel like that's very disrespectful to buy someone to buy as a gift a fake bag? At least tell me it's fake. Let me know. No. If I have anything fake, I'm going to buy it myself. Don't Right, but I'm saying if you're thing. like, oh, I got you this this bag, blah, blah, blah. I guess, yeah, no one's ever going to tell you it's fake. But then exactly, now now I'm embarrassed. Yeah, don't give like someone a fake bag. That's that trick weird. didn't know what he was doing. He's It's probably some kind of uncle kind of vibe, and he was <laughs> thinking he was doing something. Yeah, he was like, I'm going to get some cool get my girl this bag. He, he didn't know. He thought Y'all it was a good Y'all have too fake. much faith in men. He knew what he was doing. He thought he was going to get over on the girl. Right. And he did initially because she thought it was a real bag. Oh, he was damn. like, oh, I'm going to get this Dior. Like she going to throw me some ass because I got her a fancy ass bag. And the whole time it's fake. Damn, I didn't even think about it like that. Oh, my God. I was thinking like maybe he had like a you know, like a booster, and he thought he was doing something. Oh, no, no, no. He I thought he, he, he knew, but out. he was like, I'm going to finesse and get some ass. Damn. Damn. Yeah, whatever. Another one bites the dust. Another one well, bites the dust. I guess dust. I'll do the outros and Chelsea did the intro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just do a flop. Um, thank you all for listening. We love you down. Thank you to all of our new followers, new listeners. Um, thank you for engaging with us, supporting us. We are potentially gonna break 15k by the time this airs so thank on you insta. so much on instagram which is crazy because i remember when we had zero mm-hmm. um we haven't so, bought any followers they're all real <laughs> here we organic are. baby mm, hashtag there was, rare there was a time but i think they're all gone now no, remember when they weeded out. it out all the, that out yeah yeah what are you i'm just gonna keep about? it a bug i think there was a time this was a long time I, ago. continue your thing please oh yes i'm sorry saying in the positivity <laughs> um and yeah we really appreciate it it means a lot to yes. us um please continue to listen make sure you're watching our youtube we're really trying to grow that platform um engage with us on the tiki talk on twitter black girls text one on twitter merch um i know it's getting warm but it could be a nice layering piece with your black girl doing shit sweatshirt my 86 year old great aunt has one 
and she looks fire and you should too um subscribe to patreon to hear all the good tea and yeah just keep engaging with us oh if you would like to have more one-on-one um engagement with us we have a geneva page that's also black girls texting geneva's like a i say it's like um a group chat it's It's a a group chat. chat but it's like what's that one that all the discord discord I was going to call them nerds, but I'm working on my language. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's like a Discord for the girlies um, where we can chat. And yeah, I think that's everything. Fab, fab. Bye-bye. Love you now. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Black Girls Texting. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to text every group chat you're in and tell them to check us out. Follow your girls at Black Girls Texting and we'll see you next week. Bye.